is Jesus feeding the 5,000. We're going to be in the book of John this morning. You don't have to open up your Bibles. John chapter 6. Uh, we were actually here uh, not too awful long ago. Uh, if you've been in day on Wednesday night classes, you can go to the Mark. Uh, <coughs> time and the feeding of the 5,000. By the way, if you are not in Dave's class on Wednesday nights, uh, you're missing a great class. It's really insightful and anticipatory, and I really encourage you to be here. Let's take a look at John's story of Jesus feeding 5,000. I'm going to begin in, in verse uh, 1 of John chapter 6. Again, you know the story. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he performed on the sick. And then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples, the Jewish Passover began. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, but already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip asked him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all, all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who were After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who was to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to make him king by force, withdrew him in the mountain by himself. Okay, a little bit of context into that story. <clears throat> His disciples have been following Jesus around for months. They have been watching the things that Jesus has been doing. They've been listening to things that Jesus has been saying. They have come to realize that they're convinced Jesus is pretty amazing. They have had a front row seat all these different miracles that Jesus has been performing. They began to realize Jesus can do things that no one else can do. They saw it. They witnessed it. They understood the, the, the uh, amazing uh, events that were going on around them. You know, sometimes I think that 2,000 years removed and reading it from a book that we're pretty familiar with, we sort of lose the impact of what it would have been like to be there with Jesus and watch him do something that you know can't be done. I mean, it would have been life-changing. They saw Jesus take 180 gallons of water and turn it into 180 gallons of the finest wine they'd ever tasted, John chapter 2. They saw Jesus heal a man's uh, child, and he wasn't even there. Jesus just spoke the word, and the man's son was healed, John chapter 4. They saw Jesus heal a man who had been paralyzed for almost four decades, John chapter 5. And John tells us that Jesus was doing many other miraculous signs, which gets us to John chapter 6, where Jesus feeds these 5,000 uh, people. Disciples have been watching Jesus perform all these miracles. They've been coming to expect Jesus to be able to do the unexpected. They've been coming to believe that Jesus can do anything. He has power. He has authority. He has the ability to do anything. 
But this situation of John chapter 6 is a little bit different. For the first time, when Jesus is facing sort of a, a, a dilemma, facing a challenge, for the first time, he invites the disciples into the decision-making process. Now, he knows what he's going to do, but still, he invites them into this process. He's asking for their input on how they might address uh, a situation. Notice what he says in verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, if I'm Philip, my first response is going to be, What's this we thing you're talking about? What's this we business? Hey, Jesus, um, you know, you've been doing pretty good on your own so far. We'll just defer to you, because you certainly don't need our help. And you don't need our input. You don't need our opinions. Whatever you decide to do, we're with you. And yet Jesus asks the question, where will we buy enough bread? And this actually represents a turning point in Jesus' teaching and in his interaction with the disciples. From this point forward, Jesus is going to make a very subtle shift in the way that he relates to the disciples. And you especially see that in the book of John. When Jesus runs into different challenges, he's going to begin to talk about what we are going to do, not just what I am going to do. He begins to include his disciples. Uh, you see it in John chapter 9. John chapter 9, the disciples uh, notice a man who's blind, and they ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? You see this man who, who is sightless, and the disciples turn it into a theological question. What still people do today? And whose fault is this? Is it the guy's fault? Is it his parents' fault? Let's have a theological conversation. The disciples don't have a mind, they don't demand. They don't really have a, a, a thought of making a difference. They just want to have a, a theological discussion. They don't see this as an opportunity to help. That is Jesus' response. As long as it is day, we must do the work of, we, of him who sinned. Night's coming when no one can order. Many guilty of us. And the point is that Jesus doesn't see this as a theological conversation. He doesn't see this as an opportunity to question God. He sees this as an opportunity to, to honor God. And to give glory to God, he sees it as an opportunity to be used by God. He sees it as an opportunity to help a man who needs help. And Jesus wants to teach his disciples the same attitude. He wants them to grow in the same attitude. And so he speaks in terms of we. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sinned. Jesus is hoping that these disciples have the same mindset, have the same focus, have the same kind of uh, uh, passion, especially in dealing with people that have uh, needs. Where shall we buy bread for these people? As long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. When Jesus said we, he's talking about me and you. He's talking about us. I want to share with you a story that came out of the 1989 earthquake that devastated Armenia. You probably don't even remember it. Uh, 
killed over 30,000 people within four minutes. In the midst of that utter devastation and chaos, a father rushed to the school where his 12-year-old son attended, only to find that the school was flattened, nothing but a pile of rubble. And the man stood there, trying to concentrate and trying to think where his son would have been when the earthquake struck. And he deduced that his son's classroom would have been in the back right-hand corner of all the rubble. So he made his way to the back right-hand corner of that rubble and started with his bare hands digging through the cinder blocks and all the debris. Other parents came along and, you know, clutching their chest. My son, my daughter, well-meaning people tried to pull him off the pile. What are you doing? It's useless. It's too late. Nothing can be done. No one could have survived this catastrophe. Come on down. The man's reply to every one of the parents was, are you going to help me now? And he kept digging. The fire department came. He said, you've got to get away from here. Fires are breaking out. chance of explosions. Uh, you have to come down off that pile of rubble. Let us handle it from here. His response to the fire department, are you going to help me now? The police came. He said, you're a danger to yourself. You're endangering other people. You're distraught. You're not thinking clearly. You need to go home and grieve. The father's response to the police was, are you going to help me now? The father stayed in the back right corner of that crumpled school building, digging with his bare hands for eight hours. This turned into 12 hours. This turned into 24 hours. This turned into 36 straight hours. Digging with his bare hands through all this rubble. In the 38th hour, he pulled a cinder block aside and heard voices. And it was the voices of his son and 14 other classmates who were found alive. Here's actually a picture of a father, a small, a father and a son. You know, that image of a lone man digging through the rubble with bystanders standing next by uh, close by and watching. It's a haunting image. Are you going to help me now? And in a lot of ways, that's sort of the, the portrait of the world we live in. We live in a world that's broken. We live in a world that's fractured. We live in a world that's full of suffering and sorrow. And yet there's someone named Jesus who walks among the rubble of the world and every now and then he turns to his disciples and asks,
We, we bring the offering to Jesus. We bring the offering to the Lord. It's already His. You know, we use the term giving back to God. I use it myself. But I can't go to give something to someone who already owns what I'm giving them. Everything we have is a gift from God. We're not really giving back. We're just bringing it back. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary of doing good. For the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family believers. Do good to all people. Don't get tired of doing good to all people. Don't miss an opportunity to do good to all people. Ephesians 2. Hear God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What those verses are saying is, if you are a Christian, by the way, if you're not a Christian, you, you kind of get a pass on this, okay? But if you're a Christian, if you are a child of God, you were created in Christ Jesus. And one of the purposes when you were created in Christ Jesus to do is good works. We're created to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And what that means is we're destined as Christians to do good works. It is our destiny as children of God to help people, to serve people, to love people. This is a congregation that has a history of helping people. We've reached out to people within our own family. We've reached out to the community. We support mission works. We support orphanages and children's homes. Helping others is nothing new to this family. But I hope that we are ever increasing in that. I hope that we are ever increasing in serving and helping showing compassion. I hope we're getting closer and closer to the heart of Jesus. Increasing in good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Robert Louis Stevenson said, so long as we love, we serve. So long as we're loved by others, we are indispensable. All men have worth when someone cares. I like that line. All men have worth and someone cares. And we've been called by the God in the universe to care. To show people how worthy they are. Chance to love and to give, to bring our five loaves and our two fish to God. Ask them to make a difference in someone else's life. Now in John chapter 6, the only food that was found wasn't nearly enough. But in the hands of Jesus, it became much more than enough. And we're surrounded by opportunities all the time to do good works. But we're not just called to care. I said, you know, to, um, what was the quote? Uh, all men have work and someone cares. But we're not just called to care. We're called to do something. We're called to serve. We're called to help. We're called to love. Because Jesus is still asking the same question. Will you help me now? We are the hands and feet of Jesus. It might just be five loaves and two fish work, but let's bring our not enough to the Lord. Let's see what he does with it. If you're a 
guest of ours this morning. Maybe it's the first time you've been in Bay Area or the second time. I know these last two sermons have been a little bit different. I'm really asking you to give us one more chance. Come back next week because next week's sermon is going to be awesome. I'll be John is preaching next Sunday. <laughs> then in two weeks, we're starting a sermon series for the summer of one of my favorite Old Testament heroes, David. Past two weeks here, I know these two sermons have been a little bit different. I'm not going to apologize for that. It's who we are. It's who we've been called to be. And, and I really believe with all my heart that it's, it's who we want to become more and more of. Closer and closer to that uh, example that Jesus is speaking to. Do what we can. Put it in the hands of the Lord. Maybe this morning you got some other challenges in front of you. Maybe you got some specific challenges in your life, and you feel pretty inadequate. You feel a little overwhelmed as far as your own ability to deal with that challenge. I tell you, do the same thing that those disciples did in John chapter 6. They took what they could find, they took what they could come up with, they took the best they had, all they had. Six little five, five loaves and two fish in John chapter 6. They brought it to Jesus. Jesus took the not enough and made it more than enough. Because he's still asking, will you help me now? Because today on Bible Sunday, last week I challenge you, be preparing, be praying for Bible Sunday, be ready to give. I said, I want to blow this thing out of the water. Tom mentioned what we did last year. I don't know what the total is going to be. I don't really, I do care, but bring it in a big number. Here's the number I want you to think about and pray about this week. $3.87. I did a little bit of research. Some of the places where we are sending Bibles, we can provide a Bible for $3.87. Maybe $3.87 that you put in the plate plate. And some of the Bible. My challenge this morning is would you be praying about that $3.87? That God would take that tiny little bit and use it in a way that somebody, somebody's going to get a Bible because of that. Somebody is going to read about Jesus. All because of our, not our 20,000 or 30,000 or 2,000, but just our little tiny bit of five loaves and two fish. We're putting God's word in somebody's hand. Would you be praying about Bible Sunday in the next week, in the next month, what God is going to do with our five loaves and two fish in the next Bible As always, we want to give you an opportunity to share with the family here to something on your heart. If you need prayers of people who love you, love the Lord, they've got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement. Maybe speak here in front of the auditorium. If you'd like to 